0: I'm Dr. Jennifer Pierce, and this is Singular XQ, the podcast about digital transformation. In this unprecedented time of accelerating explosive change, many of us feel like we don't know what we're doing. But I know one thing we can't solve the problems of digital transformation inside silos. So we're doing the work of digital transformation one conversation at a time. I'm here today with Giles Hinchcliffe. I'm very honored that he decided to come on the show with me today. I've been following Giles for a while on LinkedIn. You should follow him too. His content suggests a really great understanding of what's going on in digital transformation. So welcome, Giles. Can you introduce yourself to our audience and give us a little detail about who you are, what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Giles. I have spent probably the last decade working in transformation in some way, shape, or form. I've been specifically focused in the DevOps and kind of Agile transformation area most recently, but before that I was originally an artist. So I always like to kind of everything I do, I kind of tend to bring a more creative spin, if you like. And I think that's my special source, if you like, as I kind of do all the transformation things that we need to be doing.
0: You know, it's really interesting that you say that because one might assume then that you were a designer when you came in, but you're not, are you? You're an engineer.
1: No, so I'm an engineer. I started my career as an artist way back in 2005, 2006. And then when the credit crunch happened, 2007, 2008, it was time to kind of leave the arts behind, shall we say, and I went into technology. I started working as just a basic sysadmin, but then as things like clouds came in uh, devops containerization kubernetes all of those things appeared and suddenly i had this realization that the guys that i'd been working with when i was an artist all of the artists that i had been working with weren't that dissimilar to a lot of the engineers that i had been working with so we were kind of organizing shows and things like that i'm trying to get people in line those artists were exactly the same as the engineers and i suddenly realized how similar and how creative engineering was. So as an engineer, what I realized was the difference was really just the wallpaper. So you have the wallpaper in art, which is sculpture or paint or whatever you decide to be your skills in engineering is, you know, containers or code or Python or whatever language you want to use, right? But fundamentally, we're creating something new that Denver existed. I have found kind of, What's really interesting as you go up through the levels, as I become kind of older and uglier, I find the other space, which is significantly more creative is actually leadership, right? So again, a completely different set of tools that you're using, but the skills and the act to create. So whereas in engineer, you're creating applications, you're creating kind of interfaces, things like that. In leadership, you're creating strategies, you're creating new things, but actually fundamentally, the skills that are required for all of them are the same.
0: That's amazing. I often talk about the divide between engineering and design because designers think of themselves as creative and adding to the engineering process, but they don't always think of engineering as a creative activity. But I believe that you're right. Why do you think people have that misperception about engineering?
1: I think a lot of it's down to communication, right? A real kind of turning point in my career was I was kind of the guy that didn't really talk to anyone you know I was the lonely kid I went through a couple of years where I was getting really frustrated like why don't people understand me I know what's right why don't they know what I know what's right and it wasn't because they were stupid or whatever it was because I was terrible at communicating realizing that communication is just as much a skill as writing code or doing anything else. And actually, you use it like a skill. And what I found initially was if you want to learn to communicate, write. So learn to write, write articles, write essays. If you've got something that you need to present about, what I found really helped me was if I wrote an essay about what I was going to present about, suddenly, I had brought into my kind of short term memory all of the interesting points and stories that I wanted to bring up to make a compelling argument for a certain thing. And that, I guess, was the kind of beginnings of me leaning into leadership away from engineering and kind of the more kind of program management area was this realization that actually constructing narrative and constructing stories and strategies was just as creative as engineering. We're doing a bit of work with a group at the moment about splitting between type one and type two personalities, right? Because that's the main difference between leadership and engineering is, and I'm going to get this wrong, which one's which, right? But one of them, leadership is toward one type of personality and another, and engineering is towards the other. So how do we move between those two readily? And that's something that I'm kind of Super interested in the moment, but I haven't really got any answers. So I'm curious I, about that. Is,
0: is yeah. it type one? Is a type one and type two? Kind of like introvert extrovert, or is it is it more yeah, complicated than that? It's just,
1: yeah, it, it's slightly more complicated than that. But yeah, the the to a certain extent, yes. So there's the evangelist personality. They're able to kind of talk, and they've got very fast short term memory. So mm-hmm. to be able to kind of talk coherently, tell stories, you need a very fast short term memory. The other personality is, is you need kind of deep, deep knowledge of a certain area. So when you're engineering a problem, you need to kind of delve deep and deep and deep into an into an area. And I, I don't know about you, but when I found myself, so say if I've spent a day coding, for example, if, they, if you say at the end of that day, I have to go and present in front of a group of people, I wouldn't be able to do it because that change, that switch in mind space is so hard. Now, we've been doing a bit of research. So, apparently, this is something that musicians do as part of learning to, to play music, right? Is actually switch between those things. And we're trying to figure out whether there's a way that we can formalize that. I haven't got there yet. That's kind of future stuff, but I'd love to hear if anyone else has any insight into that.
0: Well, it sounds almost like one of the consulting groups, it was either Gartner or McKinsey. I apologize. I can't remember. Yeah, it. sure. They had the T shaped employee. Right. Mm. There's the horizontal knowledge across many different. Yeah. Situations. And there's and a lot of people there's...
1: talking about the V-shaped one as well now, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, now, What's the yeah. V-shaped one? I think it's to do with getting increasingly deeper knowledge from one end to the other. So rather than having just specialist knowledge in one area, you, you kind of get more increased knowledge. Yes. These, these things are all trends and fads, right? Like I think we were talking earlier about a lot of these things you have to hold loosely. Right. Like you can't say, ah, this is the way that every if we do this, everything will work. It's just a tool to put in the toolbox. And it's it's you know. it's
0: an heuristic, right? It's, yeah, heuristic. Absolutely. It's, not yeah, a, yeah. it's not a law or principle. That, yeah, uh, no. I, and I do think actually the idea of depth of knowledge is quite complex today, don't you think? Because things change so much. So if you get too much depth into a, one particular area, it changes so you kind right, of and, and suddenly yes. you're
1: out of a job, right? Like um... right, yes. <laughs> but
0: but you can always. The, what I try to tell people when they seem to express anxiety about a change in tools, research and design is going through a huge shift now because of the implications of AI. Mm. So many of the things that we do are automating the things that we define ourselves on. The idea is that you've developed this body of expertise, but then you can apply the habit of learning in depth and transfer yeah. some patterns that you learn there to other skill sets there are principles that still emerge even if the hard skills shift the softer ideas and concepts can accumulate to a thickness over time do you think that that's true uh, and that think, that specialization think, is a, is different today
1: i think that's definitely true i'm biased so i would love to think that as ai takes over, you know, we get closer to the singularity or, or whatever, creativity becomes more and more important because what is the thing that we can't automate? And, you know, I know they're doing things with Dali and everyone puts, you know, Chat GPT of this is with them writing chat GPT writing a poem, but a lot of creativity is about fundamentally understanding the human condition, right? And that's not what Chat GPT does, right? Let's be honest. And I think We're going to get into a really interesting space soon where a lot of engineers will find that their jobs may be up for grabs by automation, unless they start to kind of work on those creative, I guess, neurons in their brain. You know, if they start to build that creativity, then, you know, that, that means that their jobs will just get easier. Right. Like because yes. their jobs is a uh because they are becoming a differentiator. Whereas if what they're doing is something that is automatable, then that's you know, that's that's a shame. And I think that's kind of interesting and is gonna become more and more of a hot topic in enterprises, right? Because in in startups, it's it is very creative. I, I've I've worked in both and in startups, it's like we have to build a thing, right? And when mm-hmm. we have to solve problems every single day whereas in enterprises it's often you have a silo and that silo is doing a thing right and that thing could very easily be automated there is going to be a little bit of a a period probably we're talking over the next decade none of these things happen fast right like decade maybe even two decades where The role of the technologist is going to change dramatically. And I think those of us who lean into the creative side of that coin are going to succeed. Or at least I hope so, because otherwise, you know, I've got it wrong. What can I say? (laughs) Let's
0: uh, talk about depth. Let's go a little in depth about Agile DevOps. Do you see Agile DevOps persisting or is there going to be a new process that takes over?
1: I think there's something really interesting about DevOps. We've mentioned before, like I tend to create hypotheses but not necessarily answer them. So if you look into kind of Carlotta Perez and her transformational change curve, what you'll find is towards the beginning of the curve. So we're talking about 2007, 2008, she's a beginning of a transformation. Like normally we find kind of economic kind of booms and busts begin transformation within kind of macroeconomic cycle. DevOps gets created, right? So we coined DevOps, right? At the beginning of this kind of technological change, right? Now we're at a point where that technological change seems to be kind of leveling off, right? Now, the question is, is DevOps just for kind of enabling that transformation. And you can see things like SREs being been created, platform ops, ML ops, data ops, everything ops, right? Design uh,
0: ops, research ops. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And it's kind of sharding out, but arguably the theory is exactly the same as the original DevOps theory, which is like, hold on guys, why don't we just get along? You know, why don't yes. we just talk to each other? Yes, that's you what people don't there. understand.
0: Yes, it's a that, communication. platform. That's all it platform. ever
1: was, right? That's it's all a it comms plan.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, I love it. It's yes.
1: A, technology, it was never, you know, the Kubernetes and containers came up alongside it, but it was never about that. It was about, like, guys, maybe we should just talk to each other. And, you yes. know, if we do, yes. we'll find out we're quite similar and we have the same problems. And actually, you know, let's just kind of get along. And I think that kind of boils back to kind of, the whole thing about, you know, engineers being able to communicate, if we can support engineers to be able to communicate what they feel they need to communicate. And I think that works the other way, right? So engineers or technologists need to be able to communicate to the business. The business need to be able to explain in concrete terms what they need. Because, you know, fundamentally, we talk about digital transformation, but for me, I don't think that's a thing anymore. I think that's what business is, right? technology is fundamental to business and so it should be treated as fundamental to doing business you know it shouldn't be them and us it should be everyone in it together but i think you know there is a lot of organizations who are way way along those paths i don't know about you but i tend to find myself in organizations where they need help and so I have in my head a 12-step plan and I end up kind of repeating step one to five on a rhythm because we never get to step six because, you know, by that point they're ready, they know what they're doing, they're off going doing other things.
0: Interesting, yeah. interesting. You mentioned a 12-step plan. That it reminds me of the 12 steps in AA, but you know that the yeah. first step uh, is admitting, yeah. that we, it's admitting that we admitting that don't we don't know what we're problem. doing.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that only some kind of a higher power or DevOps situation is going to save us. Maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but that's interesting. Yes. So let's talk about what you see happening in the future for leadership. What direction do you see leadership going in technology now?
1: What I find, so working on transformation programs, one of the things that I love about transformation is that it really relies on soft power and influence. And communication is the heart of soft power and influence. And and what transformation narratives often boil down to, like, once you've got, like, kind of technology is the easy bit. The hard bit is for organizations to be able to move faster, and that's all we're ever doing in transformation, or at least in DevOps transformations, all we're trying to do is reduce the size of the bets that we're taking and increase the speed of the bets that we're taking. Some organizations at the beginning of my career would make one bet, 500 million pounds and place it all on black. Nowadays, we don't want to do that. You wouldn't do that. You go to a financial planner and say, I want to put everything on black. They'll laugh you out the room. But that's what organizations have done in the past. We. Mm-hmm want to be able to be taking, making much more bets, much faster. But to do that, we need to push the power down, right? So we need to be empowering the teams who are closest to the customer to be able to um, make the right decisions for them, right? We can't have all of the power sat with like an executive team or even a level below as an executive team, right? And that fundamentally is the crux of all transformation challenges, right? Is because anyone who's in a position of power and you say, hold on a minute, you okay giving some of that power to someone else? Um, Now, who in their right mind would say yes? And so it doesn't matter necessarily whether it's the right thing to do or whether it's going to earn the organization more money. It's going to take, it takes a brave person to be able to kind of understand what that is and what that means. Equally, it takes kind of ownership on the engineering team side as well, right? Like they need to be able to say, they understand that they have been given a kind of precious thing and they need to treat it with respect, you know? And they can't go, woo, let's go make loads of decisions and not really thinking through, right? And I think what I, I can see in terms of the future of leadership, I think, what will happen I like there's what I think will happen and what I hope will happen. And I hope what happens is more power gets kind of pushed down to the guy because there's only really two bits of information. Like there is the information from the people at the very Bottom of the organization who are direct contact with customers, right? That's new information coming into the organization. And there's new information coming in at the very top who are direct contact with the board, right? Everything else in my head, like I'm quite simplistic, is filtering, right? So it's filtering up and filtering down. And so being able to empower those people who are directly in contact with the customers to then deliver on the requests that they're getting from their customers. That's where the money is going to be made, I think. I think for some organizations, that's going to take a long, 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 long time. I remember listening to a podcast and Gene Kim, I think, uh, was on it. And he was asked something very similar, and uh, about you know, when do you think that's going to happen? And I think his comment was that, well, actually some people have to retire for that to happen. There is definitely certain organizations where that's never going to happen, you know, yes, but yes I think we're in a really interesting time. And I think the organizations where that doesn't happen, leave themselves open to disruption, right? And yeah. I personally am quite excited and to be in an environment where there is, you know, I, I'm i kind of grateful to those guys who don't let that happen because, you know, let's get in, let's disrupt. I think we've got a really interesting decade ahead of us.
0: Have you seen the movie Contact with Jodie Foster?
1: No, I'm sorry. Or, or okay. at least not recently enough to be able to remember <laughs> it.
0: I can tell you the story. These instructions yeah. arrive seemingly from aliens to build a spaceship To reach Alpha Centauri, so they can, they can. This is Carl Sagan, right? Jodie Foster is this kind of, you know, wild, maniac genius who gets enlisted to go on the trip and everybody in leadership at NASA and the other countries that are coming together to do this because the whole globe unites behind it they build these things that are not in the plan they build a chair that she has to sit in with safety straps and everything she said why can't we just build it as designed they're like too risky too risky so they (laughs) put her in there and as she approaches light speed she's shaking like this and it looks like she's going to die but then suddenly all those safety contraptions they built break off and fly up to the ceiling. And then she's just floating and there's peace and it's beautiful. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Right. And I feel like that's what's going on in our society today because there's a disruption of power, right? We know that agile works better when there's small teams delivering and it disrupts the idea that there's these larger management layers that need to be in place to protect the investment risk, right? Yeah. So it's really interesting to watch this. It's all shaking apart, but eventually the straps are going to have to come off. And (laughs) I think, yeah, I I mean,
1: I always find it fascinating, right? So all of this, like, this theory itself came from... Afghanistan, like the Afghanistan war, right? So the US fighting against Al-Qaeda and realizing that with the big hierarchy, every time they made a decision, you know, they'd go to the place and everyone's gone and they had to move faster. They had to be able to move faster and they had to be able to be more dynamic. And that, that was how you would do it. You say there is a team and they are ready to go and they are empowered to make their own decisions. You know,
0: my best leadership training was with the Navy SEALs.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it it was
0: amazing learning how high performing teams optimize and it really does have to do with taking out unnecessary layers of bureaucracy and administration and just allowing people to lead in whatever capacity they need to lead in the moment. Right.
1: Yeah. And and you can't make mistakes in those environments. Yes. I work for the government. There is buffer. You can make mistakes in certain areas of the government and it doesn't matter. Or or it does matter, but it doesn't matter as much as it would in the army or the MOD in the UK or whatever, right? Like, so.
0: Well, but your KPI is less loss of human life. It sort of takes on a different meaning. But, you know, (laughs) in a lot of cases, I feel like that urgency is warranted because, for example, I I work a lot in banking. And, you know, yes, you're dealing with multimillion dollar corporations and their money and billion and trillion dollar now, but you're also dealing with everyday people who are putting their money in the bank and trusting the bank to take care of it. And that. the money that we're using come from working americans or working british people and we're responsible we're stewards and we have to make good use of that money so we can make good on their investment and so there there is that kind of urgency and and there's urgency in, in almost any field that serves human needs
1: yeah i i absolutely agree and i think i think to kind of circle it around like one of my favorite theories and i am gonna I'm not even going to attempt his surname right because it, I'm going to murder it, but it's, it's the theory of flow. Cs. Michiel, Cs. That one. Yes. Yes. yes, I know, and, and, I know and, him and,
0: very well. Yes. Yeah.
1: And flow being the secret to happiness that I use in most places as my anchor, where I was like, okay, so if I'm in here and I know that I do my best work when I'm in flow right, in that flow state. And if I am constantly saying, oh, I am dependent on this person, dependent on that person, dependent on this person, we're not gonna do good work. Basically, we're creating waste, right? And so I think, you know, a leader's role will become more and more around flow, because not only does that mean automatically you're creating happy stuff, right? Because that flow is a way to kind of increase your sense of joy and happiness, but you're also creating less bugs. You're getting faster time to value. All of that stuff comes out of creating flow within your systems, right? And I think that that tends to be my anchor when I'm going at programs.
0: Flow is such a beautiful, beautiful note to end on. Thank (laughs) you so much, Giles. Thanks for tuning in. All of the opinions expressed here are of the ones speaking them and do not reflect on their employers or organizations. Nor are they necessarily shared by Singular XQ. Today's episode was produced by Caden Chernoff, with support and content strategy from Ikra Miriam. Mad editing skills provided by Brogan Malloy and Lauren Edwards. And original music provided by Abby Ahmad. Do you have feedback for us or a topic you'd like us to cover? How about suggesting a potential guest, or even better. How about you coming in and be a guest on our show to talk about the work you do in digital transformation? Reach out to us at info at or connect with us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We love hearing from you. And don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, and share. Have a great day.